You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I am Louis Kornfeld. Talking today with me is Oscar Montoya. Oscar, thank you for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it is our pleasure. I just recently found out, not moments before we started recording, that Oscar and I went to college <laughs> together within waving distance of each That's other. That's right, yeah. We yeah. definitely overlapped. There's... There was for, an overlap. There, there was a year overlap yeah, between the two yeah. of us and probably spent most of our time in the same building. I know. That's so crazy. All of my production classes were in your building and then all of my post-production classes were in the music uh, conservatory. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I would great. do, I would do acting classes in, in your building, in uh-huh, the dance right, conservatory. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 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 you were a dance major mm-hmm. in college, which again, moments before we started recording this conversation, <laughs> uh, um, uh, I had said to Oscar that my experience of the dancers at Purchase, we both went to SUNY Purchase, upstate mm-hmm, New York, mm-hmm. great place. Yep. Uh, uh, the dancers were by far the hardest working people I ever met in my time there. You never, ever saw them because they were up before dawn practicing yeah. and they were in bed after everybody else having spent the whole day right. practicing. What was your experience? Or like partying throughout the night and then like still up and then going to classes, which I was not one of those people. Yeah. But so a lot of a lot of people did that and I just... Didn't get it <laughs> by by temperament or by energy level or both. By I guess a both, yeah, like a combination of it's. It was I, I don't know. I, yeah. It was in, I can't believe they did that. Yeah, were uh, you one of those? Were you like a big partier in college? No, or? Never, never. Yeah. I I I can hold my own staying up late with people, but in like small groups. Mm-hmm. If there's like a, a thumping beat. <laughs> forget it if movement's involved i, I can't do yeah. it i get so tired even just hearing about it oh gosh it was yeah i mean i was an ra uh in the old apartments. oh yeah, yeah. Do you remember that which sure, is yeah. like just like the part i mean they just looked have you ever lived in the old apartment? no i never did and they looked like oh, party central man were, it was bad it yeah. was bad the things i had to do yeah oh so terrible so uh, tell me about your experience dancing in college you had said beforehand that uh, mm-hmm. uh you were turned off a little bit by the amount of well, you, you tell Yeah, me. it was just, I mean, like I, I went to school for dance and with a, a focus on contemporary dancing, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I mean, great. Like what I learned there was amazing and awesome. Uh, but it was a very narrow trajectory mm-hmm. in, in my purchase uh, school experience. I mean, the idea that I could like study other things, you know, there, there was eight hours of conservatory training mm-hmm. in the dance program and you couldn't waver away from it. There were like you know, prerequisites that you had to take in order to graduate. Uh, and they were like, I don't like, I guess a writing. And then like, there were just like little classes here and there, but in terms of, I mean, they were very rigid with their schedule, Mm -hmm. which in a way is great because, uh, you know, a dancer's life is very disciplined, you know? However, in, in college that, that idea of exploration and like figuring out if this is what you wanted to do, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, I didn't, I didn't have that experience at all. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't go in there being like, oh, I, I guess, you know, I'll try taking this class just cause I couldn't take that class cause it didn't fit with the schedule that was already yeah. planned ahead of, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was like, I think I, I, it's this like weird feeling of like, I felt like I missed out on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to say that I don't appreciate, you know, dancing or whatever I do, but you know, I don't really do it anymore now. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I do this now, you know? So like, yeah, I, I wish I explored more, 
more of college. It's a weird time of your life. And especially like the way that Purchase did it, I think it's still pretty much the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the major arts programs in that school were broken up into conservatories. Right. And so if you got into a conservatory, you were pretty much set on a course that you wanted to make this your profession. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so you had a few different outside classes that you would take mm-hmm. um, to cover credits. But for the most part, you were just immersed in your particular field of study. Right. Which is fantastic. Um, but when you're 19 years old, very few people uh, I have found are that committed with that much of a sense of certainty about their future. You're still kind of imagining the kind of person you want to be. Right. And so you like, that was my experience too. You kind of find yourself now spending all of your time focusing on this thing that requires real life experience in order to feed the artist that you're developing into. And the one thing you're missing out on is real life experience. Totally. It was to a point where I remember there was a policy where if you did uh, an outside of school dance, like if you Mm -hmm. worked with a choreographer somewhere uh, outside of the school, you would be kicked out of the program. I don't know if that was true with the film program at all. They were pretty lax. We, we had to get special permission if we were working on sets, but the teachers there would also help us, you know, like during the summer break and whatnot. I find see. Jobs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What, what they were interestingly enough, very firm about during my stay there was not mingling theater students and film students. What? There was a very strong, uh, um, I don't know what the word is, but they strongly discouraged actors from spending time with filmmakers to the detriment, in my opinion, both sides of that well of course that's like a huge missed networking opportunity yeah and and even just like learning each other's thinking habits yeah the the rationale that i was given i don't know if this is true but but the way it was explained to me was that they're building technique among the actors and so they don't want to expose them to the sloppy habits and behaviors of film students who don't have very good technique what? Uh, uh, you know <laughs> that's is very that, insulting very insulting and very foolish in my opinion because uh, um, a, these actors are going to leave school and are going to work with people who don't care about their technique. Right. You're going to be right. working with commercial directors and commercial producers and, and you're going to do what it takes to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And B, if you ever want film students to learn a respect for and appreciation of actors as fellow artists and collaborators, right. you got to let them work with them. That seems so crazy to yeah. me. Yeah. Why would why would that be discouraged? I I don't. That's so crazy to me. But it's it's that like in, that disciplinary thing again of yeah. like you're focused a hundred percent on your particular right, craft exactly. But what you're missing out on is is not only learning other people's crafts and other mm-hmm. people's skills, but just connecting with people who are not in your particular corner of the totally. world. It's the only way that you can ever, this was my limitation in college. This was like the wall I hit up against. Uh, um, I didn't have any life experience. I didn't right. have any real me too. struggles in me yet. So I hadn't like tested my character against the world. So I was learning how to speak my mind, but I had nothing to say. Right. Which is such a basic social like you have to learn how to do that in order to like live in the real world. Yeah. Especially if you're in the arts, like there's a huge social component to this, I think. And I did, I felt like that was not something that was even mentioned at all, you know? Uh, which is so I, I would, you know, the social aspect of the arts and all of that stuff is, I think, one of the most important things. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't get that. There. Yeah. Uh, but I got it doing improv. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, it's it's just so funny to me. It's so fun. I'm, but again, it, it's in a way, I think 
they do that in order for you to have this like one track mind of like, I need to really, if this is what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the conservatory program at Purchase is very well known for being very, you know, strict and very hard to get into. And so, it's a great program. And it's a fantastic program. Yeah. So, you know, you're in there and you feel kind of great. Um, and then the least they ask of you is to give a hundred percent, you know? Uh, and then if you're like 80% into it, that's not good enough. And yeah. that's how I felt like my junior year mm-hmm. by junior year of school. I was like, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is something that I want to do, especially since I've like been forced to do it for eight hours every single day. Right. You know? Um, but I felt like that was the only thing I could do because I did it for so long, yeah. you know? So yeah. I also sustained an, a massive injury my senior year. Oh, no. So it preventing me from doing any sort of professional dancing. Yeah. Uh, and so like that, that's like a totally another story of like, now what, mm-hmm. <laughs> now what am I going to do? You know? So, which is something that like, I mean, it ha- it comes with the territory. Like we know that freshman year, you look at all the other dancers and statistically speaking, not everyone's going to graduate with right, you because right. there will be injuries. There will be people dropping out. And that's what happened. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. It's, it's, you know, did you it make it all the way through? I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. But, you know, it, there's a funny thing that like what you want to do in your senior. Everyone has like a senior project or like a senior thesis or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you had to like, I, what, what did you have to do? We to had like, to make a, a feature length. Okay. Yeah. Like an hour and a half long? About an hour. Oh, wow. Okay. 45 minutes to an hour. So, so a little shorter than feature. Okay. Okay. So we had to do a piece. Like we had to be in it and, and all that stuff. So people who like couldn't physically be in it had mm-hmm. to choreograph a piece, which is something that I had to do. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of thing of like, oh, you like choreographed your senior project? And it's this like kind of like thing where you're like, oh, that's kind of not super great, you know? Oh, really? So Yeah. I Why? Mean, like as a status thing or? Well, it was like, you know, you want to put yourself in the piece. Like you, you want to be like, these are your dancers yeah. in your company. So oh, I see. Speak. So you wanted to lead by example in a way. So if you weren't in it, then it was like, oh, I don't know whose piece this is because yeah. the person's not in it, you know? So yeah, it was, it was, uh, I mean, it was fine. It yeah. was totally, totally fine. But uh, again, it was a moment of like, uh, okay. Because I'm choreographing this piece, you yeah. know. So, so. I, I want to uh, backtrack for a second and go pre-college. Yes. Uh, um, so what led to your interest in dancing? What uh, what turned you on to it to begin with? Uh, I've been doing it since I was four. And uh, I've, I was uh, born in Colombia. Mm-hmm. And when I was four, I did uh, folkloric dancing, which mm-hmm. is the cumbia. Uh, and so it's like, you know, traditional kind of dancing. And I did that since I was very, very young. And uh, I stuck with it. And then through that, other avenues of dance kind of came my way. And through them, like, you know, ballet was one of them. And I didn't take to that. It just wasn't, it just wasn't right for me. Mm -hmm. And then like modern dance kind of spoke to me a little bit. And then through modern, I found contemporary. And that was even better for me. And that's the thing that I stuck with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, How did you make the transition from dancing into the world of comedy? Oh, (laughs) Um, uh, so, uh, again, I graduated Uh and there was a moment, you know, there was like maybe two years after that, that I was kind of, 
lost in a way um career wise i didn't know what to do uh i didn't know how to i knew that i wanted to work in the arts somehow uh but i just like didn't know what to do i worked for scholastic for a while for like four years um just like doing events for them uh in the soho store branch Mm -hmm. or whatever sure uh and i was like you know not to you know dis scholastic or anything but i was feeling pretty you know miserable and kind of like okay i'm doing I'm do books is like my other, I love reading, uh, but I didn't feel like fulfilled in any way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I have, I have no idea what to do. And, um, my roommate at the time, uh, he was taking a, an improv class. Um, and he said like, Oh, maybe you should like take an improv class because also I had like massive stage fright as a dancer. Mm. Um, and uh i was also i also had like a little bit of like a social anxiety problem i would say um and so my roommate was like oh you should take a class you'll meet people there and you will get over this stage fright thing that you have and i put it like i was like okay maybe i didn't know i didn't really know how what improv was because i literally never heard of it until i graduated college which Mm -hmm. is insane to me but um I put it away on the shelf and then like, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Even though it's scary, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I took the class. I took a class at uh, UCB. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I uh, hated it. (laughs) I hated it so much, but um, level one level. Yeah. Level one. Wow. That's, Uh, that's a a rare thing to hear somebody hating level one. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't like it. And not, not because it was like, the instructor was actually the instructor was fantastic, like amazing, an amazing human being. But I felt so, you know, like, you know, level one, it's, it's this thing of like everyone, it's that unlocking of like the potential of your improbability there. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And uh, it was very much like a nurturing environment, except for me, I felt so bad. Mm -hmm. I felt like really bad, especially because, you know, I compared myself to everyone else and it, it was this, uh, I was also very nervous and I was one of those people that like didn't, would never go, literally would never go until, you know, they made two people go up and mm-hmm. like, I was always the last person to go cause I was so nervous. I was very nervous because everyone was so funny, you know? And I just like, didn't know. I just, I didn't know. I, I didn't know how to be funny and I was like nervous about being funny and uh i wasn't like listening because i was so in my head you know the worst i was like a student that was very much in their head the entire time um but i knew that it was helping me meet different people mm-hmm. and uh out like i was forcing myself to do something that i felt very nervous about yeah and so i thought okay this is like actually helping me and i stuck with it and stuck with it and stuck with it and then um, I left, uh, UCB, um, and then I, uh, started to do, and then I took a break from, uh, improv altogether. And then I came back a, a year, maybe two years later. Cause I missed it. Cause hmm. I was like, okay, wow. I think maybe I should go back because I do think about it often. Hmm. Uh, what, what were you thinking about it? Um, I was just thinking about the fact that I got to meet really great amazing different people because like not all of them were you know actors or wanted to be actors or writers or anything like that um and uh that opportunity of just like talking (laughs) 
<laughs> and it sounds so weird, but talking not as yourself. Sure. I thought that was kind of very addicting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and very fun. Uh, having like a totally different way of thinking than yourself. That's the way that I kind of pictured improv as yeah. for a while. It's that idea of like, oh, speaking, like really believing a point of view that's not yours, right. you know, which I guess is what acting is, right? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, so then I went back and I did stuff at the People's Improv Theater mm-hmm. and I took a class there and literally that first class, everything it, everything made sense to me mm. <laughs> and it clicked and that was like the beginning of just going at you know just like going at it do you think that that had something to do with the kind of gestation period of a year off yes uh, without a doubt that yeah. like sense of uh reflection yeah specifically was so important also um in i was so kind of like obsessed with improv and not in a good way mm-hmm. in the first uh three levels because i took three levels uh, at UCB at first, uh, I was very obsessed with it, but not in a way that was, uh, reflective. Mm -hmm. It was like doing, doing it right. Mm -hmm. I was like very obsessed with that. But by doing that, I like, wasn't listening. I was, I was saying things that didn't really make sense. Um, I, I would be paralyzed by fear, you know? Um, so I was inactive most of the times, but I was very, it was, I was very, very much in my head about it. Even when I, after I left a class, I was like, could I have done better? Like I should have done this or this or this. Oh, I should have said this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then after I stopped doing it for a while, I like actually absorbed yeah, right. <laughs> the things that were being taught to me. Right. Um, and the things, you know, people were saying and, and all that stuff. Uh, and then it, it clicked. Yeah. It just like made sense. And I think what it was, it was that idea of not freaking out, like just allowing yourself to talk. Yeah which is something that I didn't do before. Yeah. Uh, because there, I, the, the thing that with improv is, you know, and I don't know how you feel about it, but that sense of like improv is so closely attached to the word comedy. Mm-hmm. And that, that the comedy part was what was freaking me out. Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, because I was never like a comedy person ever. I was never like funny. I was never like a funny, you know, the funniest guy, you know, I'm not the funniest person in my family. You know what I mean? It was like the comedy was, what was tripping me up yeah. and not the improv, not yeah. the ability to do or say anything at, you know, at any given moment. Yeah. Like that to me was what was missing yeah. in the equation. Uh, I put like improv comedy with a lowercase I and a capital C. Mm-hmm. And that was what was freaking me out. Yeah. But now, you know, or when I, you know, took it, time to reflect i mean i really did think of it not as comedy so much as like just doing it you yeah. know um so yeah i mean i don't know I, how did you like did that like click to you at first like the comedy part no in when i first started improvising i didn't think of it as comedy that sounds really naive mm-hmm. um but i didn't know much about it uh uh i thought of it as acting Mm-hmm. And specifically to deal with with the problem that I encountered in college was to learn a little bit of acting and mm-hmm. learn a little bit of spontaneity and learn how to kind of relate to people and connect with people. So it didn't, this is going to sound really um, bullshitty, but it's not bullshit. <laughs> it didn't click to me to start thinking about it as comedy until I started doing my first shows. Okay. And then you sort of felt like, oh, okay, people are here because they want to laugh. I see. So yeah. I, I will... I can sense that now, mm-hmm. you know, but it took me a long time for that to register. I just mm-hmm. thought of it as a way to be spontaneous with people. Yeah. Um, 
Um, and it's interesting because when you do think of it as comedy first, and this is, this is obviously not true for everybody. This is a blanket statement. <laughs> but um, for those of us with a certain amount of anxiety about ourselves and a certain mm-hmm. amount of difficulty uh, um, fully connecting with other people, whatever the hell that means, mm-hmm. um, measuring yourself first and foremost with the comedy yardstick um, puts you in a really artificial position because first you have to create this whole character about yourself before you're prepared to share that with, without a doubt. Yeah. You know, but when you think of it as improvisation first and let the comedy be a side effect of the process of improvising, then it's a very different thing. And Mm -hmm. then you just bring what you have to the table Mm -hmm. and connect with other people. Right. That to me, that was the big takeaway and the thing that, really resonated almost immediately was that feeling of I'm making friends very quickly with these people. Right. And, and we're sharing something very intimate with each other very immediately. And again, it sort of goes back to college. Did you take uh, improv in college first or no, I, um, I did, we had one mandatory acting class Mm -hmm. and a couple of like dramatic structure classes. That was pretty much my entire exposure to theater in college. And then the rest was just directing classes and film production classes. Mm Um, uh, which is sort of a shame because I, one thing that you learn pretty quickly when you're improvising is you learn what plays in front of an audience. Yeah. Whether it's funny or whether it's not funny, you learn what people pay attention to and what people check out on. Yeah. The best thing about improv, I think is, is that sense of like, not the awareness is beyond you at that point, Yeah, which is fantastic. And very counterintuitive to the way that I first try to tackle this improv sure. monster, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you're performing on stage, it's this moment of like, I'm living beyond myself. It's not just me and thinking about me and what's funny to me. It's this like sense of, Oh, there's other people involved. Yeah. My scene partner, my teammates and the audience. Yeah. And how can we communicate with each other? How can we all talk to each other? Yeah. Because the audience is talking to you, whether laughing or, you know, whatever it is, like they are, they are communicating to you. You feel their attention on yes. you. Yeah. And it's interesting because I don't, my own personal set of anxieties have to do with, I don't like people paying attention to me. Mm. I, I feel really weird when the, when the ball's thrown my way, mm-hmm. except when I'm improvising. And then you feel that attention and you feed off of it and it empowers you and it gives you energy and it gives you a sense of focus. It's right. a really interesting thing. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a British comedian named Stuart Lee who talked about the mm-hmm. quotation marks on stage. You step on stage and you're immediately standing under a pair of quotation marks. Yeah. And those quotation marks protect everything that you're about to do because everybody knows this is not a real sentiment. You're speaking other thoughts for the time being. It's a, right. safe, a safe space to try out weird thoughts or bad thoughts or different thoughts or whatever it is. Right. And there's something about that, that under the protection of those quotation marks, you then feed off of the attention that people are paying you. Whereas in real life, when, when my entire personality rests on every word I'm about to say, (laughs) I hate people looking at me, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Um, but it, it, like, I remember Armando giving me a note when I was just starting and that was like, one that really opened me up to it. And it was just, just relax. He was like, if Mm -hmm. you can be calm and patient, you make the people around you calm and patient too. And so the kind of marching orders were make the people around you feel comfortable. Make them feel like this is easy for them. And that 
took so much pressure off of my shoulders mm-hmm. where it wasn't about showing off what I can do. It was just communicating to everybody in the room that we're good. Right. Everything is fine. We're taken care of. And it, there's something about that of like going out of your way to serve the people around you that uh, warms you to it and makes you more open to other people and makes you more spontaneous. Right. And it's just practical. It just works. Yeah. Things start working when you behave that way. I think there's also like, there's some truth in this analogy that I heard from someone else uh, was that if you are hosting your own party, mm-hmm. right, uh, you can either be like the host who's always kind of multitasking and, you know, kind of taking control of everything, worrying about like the food and worrying about the guests and making sure everyone's comfortable and stuff like that. And the, the party might be successful, yeah. but you're not enjoying this party at right. all. The party is not, you're not in this party. Yeah. But if you relax be calm and just be in the moment. Then you become part of the party. Then, you know, you can hear everybody else and Mm -hmm. be like, okay, what does this party need? This great. Awesome. This awesome. Then you're more malleable to let the party just happen. Yeah. You know? Uh, And that's, I think the big thing with improv too, you know, you, you could control every little thing, your persona on stage, the things that you're going to say, the way you're going to be funny. And it could be a successful show, Mm -hmm. But then you're so in your head about every single thing that I don't think that you're a part of it at yeah. all. You put yourself out of it. Yeah. You're not, you're not. But if you allow yourself to just be malleable, which in improv, it's kind of what is required of you. Yeah. You know, uh, then you could just be a part of the show. Yeah. And communicate in the show, you know? And just going with the flow of it too. Mm-hmm. There's something so, uh, um, pleasurable about letting go and going with the flow of of just like the event in front of you yeah because when you're when you're holding on to the sense of perfectionism mm-hmm. all you're really holding on to is this outcome that you've projected from it right whether it be everybody's takeaway from this party or whether it be the quotes that everyone's going to remember you by after they go home or whatever that right is. yes which is a major thing you know like yeah. I, the way that i um i, I talk a lot about like not judging what comedy is when you're on stage, mm-hmm. you know, like the idea of like, what is comedy? I mean, I can't, I don't know what, I don't know what that is. I don't know if anyone really can define the absolute definition of what comedy is yeah. because it's a case by case thing. One person in the audience might think one thing is funny. The other person in the audience might think something totally different. So for you to judge and place value on what's funny, mm-hmm. depending on the audience, the, like the conglomerate as one, is not fair for you. Right. You know? Yeah. Also like you shouldn't have, you shouldn't put a judgment to what comedy is. You should just allow it to happen. Mm-hmm. It's a byproduct of just reacting, mm-hmm. listening and responding, you know? So w- when you're on stage, what are your criteria? I, if that might be too abstract, what I mean is, um, some people measure the quality of a show based on how many laughs the show's getting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they'll, they'll, orient themselves to get bigger laughs or more laughs. That's fine. It's not a judgment call. Sure. Yeah, no. And but they're very good at it. They're <laughs> very good at it. Do it. Yeah. You know, uh, um, so what is like, because I find if I just go into it with this sensibility of like, we're just going to have fun, mm-hmm. it fails for me. <laughs> really? I, it, Why? It's too loose for me. I need uh-huh. some sort of just like simple traffic rule. Do you One set thing. guidelines for yourself? It depends on the show and, and rarely because that also doesn't work for me too. Okay. If, if I go into a show deciding this is what I'm going to focus on tonight, 
uh, uh, either I completely forget it or that's what I focus on to the detriment of the show itself. And then I'm not, right. I'm not jamming with other people right, anymore. Right. I'm just holding on to this thing. So for me, it will have to do largely with what group I'm performing in, mm-hmm. uh, um, who the audience is generally, and sort of what the point of that particular show is. Right. So certain shows, you know, if you're doing a short form show, uh, um, uh, uh, laughs or booze. I know, yeah. <laughs> I know whatever it is, laughs or booze are, are what I'm going for. Yeah. You want that effect. Short form is so scared of me. That's such a, yeah. I, you, you do it, yeah? Not really. I did it, um, I did one of the Second City cruise ships a few years right. back. Oh, that's so, right. Yes, yes, So yes. I had, I, they took us out to Chicago and we did a crash course in short form there. And I learned to really enjoy it mm-hmm. when I accepted that idea of laughs or booze. Yeah. Because <laughs> for me, it, the shows that I really enjoy doing, uh, um, when it works the best and I sort of feel like I'm firing on all, on all cylinders. cylinders. Yeah. Uh, um, the audience has a little bit of like a fly on the wall quality. It doesn't feel like I'm reaching out to give a lot of stuff to the audience. Right. It feels like I'm sort of, uh, uh, letting them in and you know, there's more of like an eavesdrop quality on it. Right. Right. I like that feeling in shows a lot. And so if I know that, that, that kind of sense is is okay for a show that we're about to do i feel pretty comfortable but you know that if you're doing a show that is a big tourist crowd uh you know right. now i have to amp up some of the laughs and so there's a different set of criteria i need to have bigger reactions in this show mm-hmm. i need to be wittier in this show i need to play it more like a short form or you know whatever it may be totally yeah i, I i've done shows actually uh natasha rothwell we did a show a while ago and she, it was to a, to like a very tourist crowd or mm-hmm. people that weren't familiar with improv. Uh, and she was like, okay guys, it's going to be an A to A show. And I was so confused about that. I was like, what does that mean? She was like, well, just make it as obvious as possible. Like yeah. it's just, that's just the way it's going to be tonight. And yeah. I was like very stubborn about it. I was like, no, no way they're going to enjoy a very intelligent show. And not to say that the show wasn't intelligent, but it wasn't. (laughs) And of course, like just people didn't understand anything that I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And whereas there were other people in the show that were just like very, you know, that was like up on the jokes, up on the big characters, up on the, you know what I mean? So I, that's when I realized like, Oh, it's, it is like that sense of communicating to the audience. Yeah. They're not listening to what I'm saying right now. Right. They don't understand what I'm saying. Right. You know? And that's the thing with improv, too, to a lot of a, a non-improv crowd. It's very hard to understand, you know? I've, I've brought a lot of friends uh, that don't do improv to some of, like, my weirder improv shows. Mm-hmm. And they just, like, don't. They don't understand. They yeah. don't know what's happening. They don't know the trajectory of a long-form show. They don't understand, really. If it's not a narrative show, then they just don't get it and that's fine i mean like i didn't get it when i first started doing it either you know it is a language that you have to develop to understand yeah you know and so there is that element of like knowing your audience sure. it is very important you know well it's also that's also part of going with the flow of it too because mm-hmm. if if you set yourself i mean obviously you choose the shows that you want to do and yeah. if you're invited to do a show that doesn't you know appeal to your sensibility I think there's no shame whatsoever in right. giving a polite, friendly totally. no. Yeah. Uh, um, I think it's a mistake to just say yes to everything and then quickly find yourself feeling like, uh, oh, this is not what I do. It's horrible. <laughs> it's a terrible feeling. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure we've all been there. I've certainly been there. And 
I, you go through a period of a few months where you lose any sense of yourself mm-hmm. and you don't know what you like or find funny or what you're good at anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very disorienting. Right. But, uh, um, you know, so that's obviously one option is you say yes to the shows that you want to do or you right. create the kind of shows that you want to do. Uh, um, barring that where you're doing a bunch of different kinds of shows in different theaters for different audiences, it, part of going with that flow is being able to make that slight context adjustment beforehand and sort of know of like, there's a different set of criteria for mm-hmm. this particular show. Mm-hmm. I was terrified of musical improv for the longest time mm-hmm. until I did the Second City contract because we had to, there was a musical sequence in every improv show that we did. That's we would right. open and close yeah. with a musical sequence. And uh, the thing that I learned doing that was uh, um, as long as you do it, you're fine. Yeah. You don't have to do it well. You d- <laughs> totally. It doesn't have to make sense. You can get out there and speak gibberish, but the fact that you're doing it is what these people are enjoying. Very satisfying. Yeah, it's very satisfying. So it's a context adjustment mm-hmm. because then you're no longer thinking about like, okay, I need to tell a cohesive story or I need to, this is about character development or mm-hmm. I need to tie the loose ends together. This is a story of an actor on stage who doesn't know what he's about to do doing it. Yeah. That's what it is. And once I made that adjustment, it was so much more fun to do. Right. And then when it's more fun, it's just like when you forget about the comedy and focus on the improv, when it's fun, all of a sudden smart, interesting, unique things do start coming oh, yeah. out of you because you're not measuring it up against, uh, um, this sort of like artificial standard. And I think that's so important to note too, that idea of like, when you're having fun, you are less, you're not in your head anymore. Right. You become part of the world that you're in. Yeah. You know, I think the moment where, uh, people start getting in their heads and overthinking is the moment where you start analyzing. And that part isn't fun. Yeah. It's, it becomes a lot more brainy, you know, and there are not, you know, it's not, it's not saying brainy improv because that's, I think different. You can still have fun doing brainy improv. It's a different thing. I think analyze over analyzing and being like, what can I say next? What's the funniest thing I can say right now? If that's what you're thinking, it's over. You know yeah. what I mean? It's over. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, there, I think you're right. I think that there is a way braininess can be part of the fun. Mm-hmm. If it's playful braininess. Totally. When it's braininess that is attempting to control the situation, that's where it gets into trouble. Right. You know, uh, um, uh, do you, do you know your own triggers for when that happens to you in a show, when something will occur that makes you fall out of it and go into judgment mode or or self-analysis um if okay so like going back to the question of like what's my criteria for uh just being or playing around or being or performing yeah my biggest criteria the thing that i ask of everyone including myself is to just listen yeah that's that's my big thing and i think as as an improviser i've developed and i've definitely developed because that's not the way that i started doing improv, but I've definitely developed the skill of listening. And I think it's pretty sharp for me uh, because I do, I do it. I, I'm a, I'm a good listener, I will say. Uh, And all I want is for people to listen to each other. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I'm listening, if I'm not in the scene and if I know that people aren't listening to each other, that like takes me out of, takes me out of it. Or if I'm saying something and I know that my, scene partner is not listening to me, then that immediately takes me out of it. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I start activating my 
my brain a little bit, mm-hmm. making my brain work of like, uh oh, what's huh, what's happening? You know, it's mm-hmm. like off the for me, a perfect improv scene is an improv scene that I'm not even thinking. I go in there and I just do, and then I'm out and I'm like, what what just happened? You know? Uh, because I'm just literally in the moment and just talking to someone. Yeah. As soon as I think about it as it's happening, it's over for me. Yeah. It really is. Like I I just can't seem to get a the tighter grip I seem to have in scenes, the more it escapes me. Yeah. It's hard. It's it's very hard for me that moment of like, oh, or even if I'm like, oh, I didn't I didn't hear that last part. I am that improviser who will be like, what did you just say? Mm-hmm. You know? And and I know that a lot of improvisers like freak out when that happens or like you know what I mean? Asking to clarify. I'm very big on doing that on stage. Yeah. Very big. Yeah. Because if you assume, you know what I mean? Like if you assume or like take it somewhere like, oh, I didn't, I didn't hear that. I'm going to create something new. It just, it, it, it's a break, you know, uh, I'd much rather break that moment of reality. I would say by being like, uh, what did, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Right. Or come again. Uh, and know and understand and then play then like, just creating my own. Well, there's a danger too, because if you don't do that and you don't clarify to the person that you're playing with or the people that you're playing mm-hmm. with that you missed it, they'll go on with the assumption that you got totally, it. Totally, yeah. And you just get farther and farther away from each other. Yeah. So it, you're doing a disservice to them too. Mm-hmm. You're lying to them. Yeah, Also, that's true. Yeah, the lying part is so true. And also if I say something and if you are creating something totally different, then that puts me in my head and I'm like, oh, that person didn't listen to me or took my offer and just straight up denied it, mm-hmm. not even denied it, just threw it away. You know, that that makes that's where I go into like my judgment zone of mm-hmm. like, oh, what? This is terrible. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Oh, everything is bad. Yeah. You know, uh, this show's the worst show in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's where I go to my like bad place, I guess. Uh, but I just I I. I'm very, I'm such a baby when it comes to doing scenes. I'm such a baby. I just, I, f- I need to feel like I'm being taken care of. Sure. I do. I mean, I, I just want to, I just need to know that you're listening to me. It, it really is as simple as that. You could be as funny as you want. You could be as silly, as dumb, and we could have the dumbest scene in the whole wide world. But if we're talking to each other, mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. Totally okay with it. But if I get, ever get a sense that you're not listening to me, I turn into such a baby. I turn into the biggest baby in the world. Yeah. I, and in my worst case scenario, I'm like, fuck this. I'm just going to go crazy then. Yeah, yeah. And that's when it's like, and then I hate myself after it. You oh, know? yeah. And it's like the worst feeling in the world. Like someone edits the scene and I'm just like, ah, why did I do that? That has like the same feeling to me. Like if you get like in, into a fight with, with your partner mm-hmm. and then develop this attitude of like eh, <laughs> so, fuck it and then like you just get drunk and act like an asshole yeah exactly and it's like you know i'll i'll feel bad tomorrow morning but right now i'm just angry totally. and feeling unappreciated well, yeah why do we always want to destroy things we cannot understand yeah <laughs> once it seems like it's starting to break we just want to break it yeah well i th- <laughs> i think some of it is just like the basic thing of once we sense an obstacle in our way mm-hmm. if there's nothing we can do about it we just start trying to like i know bust it up totally. and then i'll apologize tomorrow i to yeah exactly yeah like oh it's gonna be over anyway like, yeah whatever yeah yeah it's e- interesting uh, um dave pasquese said 
um, I think on on a previous podcast or maybe maybe I don't know. Whatever. He said, uh, um, "I'm paraphrasing here." I'm, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, it's a mistake to value getting the laugh as the highest thing that we're aiming for, mm-hmm. because if you think about it. Uh, uh, the thing that you take away as a performer, what you get out of the experience of performing for an audience is a feeling of being appreciated for who you are. Right. That the highest good feeling that you get out of it is knowing that people appreciate you and not just like, Oh, that was nice. I appreciate that. Right. But that the qualities about you that you have to, to share with people are interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And that goes for the audience, but also goes for the performers that you're playing with as well. And when you walk away from that, you've had like a genuinely artistic experience. Sometimes we will replace that feeling of appreciation with the feeling of being laughed at. And so we start doing these artificial, arbitrary things to get the laugh. When you feel appreciated by the people on stage with you, and it is literally that simple as you're listening to me, Mm -hmm. you're avoiding a laugh right now to take in what I'm doing. Yeah. It you rise to the occasion then. And then that's when you unlock this like instant brilliance. You also, know? I think it is, it can happen where you listen to people and there's laughs happening. Sure. I, I, oh yeah. I, it's that's what a lot of, not a lot of people, some people don't really understand, right? How can I be funny with someone else? I mean, like that's what improv is about. I think and that's what's so different. It's different from stand up because you're writing in stand up. You're writing these jokes. These are, you're constructing these jokes. You're constructing your set. You're constructing whatever you want. With improv, it requires more than you to construct, you know, unless you're doing solo prop, which right. I've I've never, I don't know if you've ever done it. Terrified. Never done it. It scares the crap out of me. Yeah. I, I just recently saw uh, John Bander mm-hmm. do a solo musical improv show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did it. But it was so amazing to see, just to see one person just play a whole bunch of characters and sing. It was insane. I love, I love him so. He's yeah. like, he's a hero of mine. Don't tell him I said that. But he's so fantastic because he's fearless. Yeah, he's fearless. And those, I mean, like, those are the kind of improvisers that I really respect and admire. Are those people that are just fearless who will. I I, I want to get to a place like that. I mm-hmm. really do. I mean, that's what I strive to do to like stop thinking. And cause when I think it's all self-sabotage, right. it's all like, don't do that. You will look stupid right. doing that. Right. You will, you will look stupid saying that like you are a stupid person. That's, that's like where my head goes when I start thinking about it in the scene, yeah. you know, always it brings me back to like my baby improv years of like, don't do anything because if you do something, you're going to look stupid. Right. And, uh, that's not where I want to be. I want to do the opposite of that, of like doing something and be like, yeah, you look stupid. Awesome. You know? Um, and Banders is one of those people. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I totally got off topic. No. Yeah. But I, I do think, uh, I do think improv requires the sense of connection Mm -hmm. first from your, um, scene, scene partner or your teammates and then you can create, then, then it's fine, yeah. you know, but if you don't have that moment to connect, right. It's, it's kind of lost. Like yeah. you need to be, I, I mean, it is a team sport. Yeah. Improv is a team sport, I think. And you need to know the team that you're playing with. And yes. You, it changes. It yes. changes every time your role in a team does change, yeah. you know, but there has to have that. There has to be that acknowledgement. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't just be the same player. Maybe you are. I don't know. But for me, that's not the case. I'm a different player in every team. Yeah. You know? And but that sense of connection has to happen after every single show or before every single show, I should say. And then you could just like be silly and stupid and dumb or whatever. Yeah. But as long as everyone else on the team is is on the same page, then you're totally good to go. Are you talking about connecting about your strategy for what you're about to do together or connecting on, on a little bit more of like an intimate level than that, like connecting as people? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think as, I, I mean, the best teams that I've ever seen in my life are the teams where the people get along with each other. Yeah, It's more than just, you can have the most talent. And I've seen, I'm, I'm sure everyone has seen a team made up of arguably the most talented improvisers of all time that just crumble and fall apart because mm. personally they just can't connect, you know? And then you see a team where it's not the funniest people or not the most dynamic people, but somehow they all connect they jam and together. it's just magical. Yeah. It's magical. Yeah. And that's, and the reason why is that connecting factor. Yeah. It is. I mean, you could literally on paper be the funniest person, but if you're not connecting with anyone, it's not going to work. Yeah. Not an improv. Not an improv, maybe yeah. in sketch, maybe in stand up, but an improv, I think that's hard. It's one of the things that I, to me, it always takes some of the pressure off and it always makes me feel uh, uh, more willing to be generous with other people. Because mm-hmm. um, you are, you're, I'm, I'm putting myself in your hands when we step out there and vice versa. Yeah. You know, uh, um, it's interesting too, because uh, not to like harp too much on, on, putting comedy above improv or improv above comedy. And I really do honestly believe it's a personal choice mm-hmm. and no, it's the show that you're yeah. doing. It's, it's of course. whatever you want to do. Um, but for me, at least when you put the comedy above the improv, um, then there's a contract with the audience that this is about, I will deliver funny material to you, which you will either enjoy or you will boo me, mm-hmm. you know? But if you kind of put the improv over the comedy, which to me is just, it's another branch of theater it's another Mm -hmm. kind of acting and another kind of storytelling um you tap into something else which is that people pay money to sit down in a theater and for an hour believe in the story that you're telling them totally and if you have that in mind when you're even watching someone just listen to their partner and not do anything funny the very fact that they're listening and believing it for a few moments lets the audience believe it too and they become immersed in it and you can feel it it's that same kind of like palpable attention that you feel that begins to kind of give you a sense of direction when you're on stage Mm -hmm. and you just sort of know go that way explore this because that's what the audience is right is paying attention to right and i think too i mean like my sensibilities as an audience member because that's another interesting thing about like you as a performer versus you as an audience member and i'm sure it's changed for you over the years of like what strikes you as interesting or like, you know what I mean? For me, it's definitely changed in the, in the regard of like, I would much rather see, I could see two hours of two people just sitting next to each other and talking rather than like insanity happen, you know? Yeah. I've, it's just something that's developed in me because that, I mean, that wasn't the case. I was one of those people when I would watch shows and get really nervous if that happened. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's getting too real. Like, Oh no, you know? Uh, but now I just, I'm looking for those moments yeah. because, you know, I'll be honest, they are, they are rare. They're rare. They're yeah. rare moments. They don't really happen that often where people are really talking to each other Yeah, because I think people are either really worried about 
themselves, what they look like on stage, uh, the the interesting thing in the scene, the game of the scene, and that that's not interesting to me. Yeah. To me, it's just having two people interact with each other. I like it when it feels alive to me Mm -hmm. and sometimes it feels alive in a very slow quiet scene that's two people sitting in a car doing nothing and sometimes it feels alive to me in a scene that's just mayhem yeah yeah but it there's a you can sense that difference of quality when things are are getting chaotic and it feels a little bit like you're at a party where you kind of have to play the role of somebody who's having a great time. Right. Yeah. You know, you're being kind of forced it's into work. enjoying yourself. Yeah, it's, work, it's work and it sucks. It's terrible. But the best it, shows have a perfect balance of that. I yes. mean, not to say that that's, it's either crazy or like serious, you know, uh, the, the best show has both of those elements in there. Moments of like lulls of just like connecting with each other. Yeah. And then madness ensues. Yeah. Like those are the most satisfying shows. Are you kidding me? Like, they're great because they're all constructed from somewhere, yeah. you know, from that moment, you know? So yeah, to me, those are the best shows. Yeah. I want to switch gears for a moment. Mm-hmm. So you host a show at the pit called ethnic realness. Yes. Can you talk about that? Uh, well, it's a variety show and I host it with, uh, my friend Bowen Yang, mm-hmm. uh, who's a story pirate. Um, and that's how we met. Uh, and, uh, we do, well, it, it came, it, um, just stated from the idea of, uh, the gay comedy world mm-hmm. um, and they're not being really a voice of like ethnic minorities in the gay comedy world. And we were getting a little frustrated about that. Uh, and we were like, Oh, let's have a variety show where we just talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it originally started as a podcast idea. And uh, I immediately was like, how does one do a podcast? <laughs> what goes into that? And we're like, let's just do it. Let's just make it a live show. And uh, we did it, and our first show was fantastic. Um, it's so great because what's amazing about it is that we, it's not exclusive to gay people of color, because that's not what we're about either. We're mm. not I- isolating or alienating anybody. Uh, and it's not just gay people either. You know, we do have straight people on the show, but it's that idea of looking at the world of comedy and seeing how different it is. You know, we have stand up people, we have improv we have you know um people doing characters like it to us it's like a great voice for people of color Mm -hmm. that are gay Mm -hmm. you know yeah uh and so and actually after doing that i realized like whoa people are really interested in this like it's not just like the two of us hosting this show and then like three people are watching this show it's more it's more than that you know because it is a a voice that isn't really spoken about, you yeah. know? So yeah, I love it. It's great. It's interesting. Cause just going back to, to your experience way back in level one class mm-hmm. of networking with other people, of just talking with other people mm-hmm. and hearing other people and being heard by other people. And that being this thing that over time begins to kind of thaw out this need to be funny and instead becomes mm-hmm. more of, of, looking to genuinely kind of touch minds with each other. Right. And that, I think for so many people, that's the addictive thing in improv. Mm-hmm. At least for me, I found that it, 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 my improv career has been a process of forgetting that and mm-hmm. then remembering it mm-hmm. and then forgetting it and remembering it. And then you kind of get funny for a while and then you forget that like, Oh, the thing that's so enriching about this is it's an opportunity for me to listen to the people around me and for them to listen to me. And we just touch minds totally in a way that you 
don't elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for other artistic disciplines, but going back to college for a second, mm-hmm. where you're so single-mindedly uh, pursuing a craft. Yeah. And for the most part, you're spending your time with like-minded people also pursuing that craft. And you end up talking about that craft more often than not. Your character... And the very thing that feeds your sensibility becomes atrophied because all you're thinking about constantly is the means to express it without a doubt, rather yeah. than what's going into you that needs to be expressed, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and that's one thing that like I found improvising rapidly accelerated uh, um, the development of a little more personality for me mm-hmm. just because I'm being exposed to so many new people all the time. Oh yeah. And I have to immediately connect with them and find common ground for us to both create off of. Right. Um, and it's still like, you know, I don't know how you feel about this. Um, even in the time that I've been improvising, which has been about a decade, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's become less of a homogenous community than yes. it used to be. But it's still, you know, pretty, a, I think it's a safe thing to say throughout most of the country. It's a fairly homogenous community of of people who come to oh, yeah. improv. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm curious what your perspective is on that running that show. Um, I I think also, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, doing starting improv, it's as someone of color who's gay, it is very um, alienating. Sometimes you are very aware on this level that um, for like in the dance world, that was very different for me. Like I never felt like, oh, I'm a brown gay person in this dance world. Mm -hmm. I never felt that way Mm -hmm. in comedy for a very, I still feel that way. I very much still feel that way of like, I'm very aware that I'm a brown person doing comedy. Mm-hmm. I'm very aware that I'm a gay man doing comedy. Uh, because it was brought to my attention. Mm-hmm. Not by me, by other people. Mm-hmm. Always, all the time. I mean, like, taking classes um, in the three theaters, I mean, I could tell you so many instances where people would just, out of nowhere, call me out for being me. Mm-hmm. Not being a character, mm-hmm. but for being me like labeling me a sassy black person Mm -hmm. labeling me a gay person labeling me this that and i had no power that like immediately took every any stakes that i had in the scene and again it is that sense of like listening if you say if it still happens it happened two weeks ago in a show Mm -hmm. where someone just like straight up um just like called me out for being a, a brown person and I've learned ways to do it. I mean, yeah, I've learned ways to like tackle that, I think, but it's always like, like a snake bite. Mm -hmm. It's always like this quick thing of like, uh, you know what I mean? Which is, I, you know, I need to like figure out like nicer ways to do that. But I immediately just like retort with another gift to someone Mm -hmm. and like, you know what I mean? Like making them aware of who they are too. Um, which is something that I've developed over the years and like my hardened kind of like uh, just tactics of like, oh, this is how I'm going to, you know what I mean? You're going to treat me like this. Well, fuck you. I'm going to treat you like that too, you know? So it's great. I've I've played with, uh, I'm in a team with all gay men and I've been on a team with all brown people and I've been on a team with all black people. And the way that I play with them is different, mm-hmm. you know? is very different. We speak to each other in a level that I can't speak to with uh, straight white people. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, 
And it's not like our improv is better or worse than that or whatever. It's just like we have an understanding that goes deeper, way deeper than just improv, right? And we're able to, I mean, we just like understand the references that we're digging up, right? We we speak a language more than English, obviously, but we just like get each other on in this weird level, yeah. you know? Um, and I think doing the show, Ethnic Realness, is important to see that to celebrate that that sense of like i get you i get you on a deeper level than just like you're funny Mm -hmm. you know because it's oh i get i get this this character that you're doing and it's based on a real social (laughs) and cultural problem uh and it speaks to me you know and that's what comedy to me has become it's not like a joke thing right? right to me comedy is something that is interesting yes and a voice that I haven't heard that speaks to me yeah, in whatever way that means, you know, as a brown person, as a gay person, as a total geek, as a Power Ranger nerd, as a Magic the Gathering fan, you know, like all of that stuff. I, I'm so much more than just my skin color and my sexual preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing that is sad to me still is that uh, there are people that don't understand that (laughs) or don't necessarily see that yeah and i'm not talking about people that i've been on teams with i'm talking about like you see it in classes all the time yes exactly and i see it you know when i do teach or coach i see that yeah um and that's i'm sorry that was a little ranty but um it, it was weird and it's you know um it did prevent me from doing um imp like going deep into improv yeah because uh, I was very much made aware of who I was right away. And what I was was not them. Mm-hmm. So uh, it really freaked me out. Also, the fact that, like, uh, it's interesting that you say that uh, improv has made you develop a personality. And I totally agree. It's definitely developed a personality in me uh, in a way that, like, improv is interesting because it's like this. I compare it to, like, The Blob, you know, that movie, The Blob, oh, yeah. sure. where everyone is on this like improv or comedy blob and just snatches people left and right. And it's so easy for you to become this like nameless, like comedy blob person was like, I like the same things. Everyone like, I like the, that person. Oh, and this person, and this person, you know what I mean? And to get away from that, you do have to be like, okay, well, what is it about comedy that I enjoy mm-hmm. and what comedy it, it's not good. It's not good enough. If you just like, like comedy, no, like what, what explain more, you yeah. know? And then that makes you really analyze what you like, what you find funny, what you find interesting, what you find unique. And then it makes you develop a voice, you know? And I think that for some um, not comedians for people it's just like oh yeah comedy's fine and that's good enough for me and I like the things that you like and whatever blah 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 but um, which is fair and fine and totally you're fair to that. yes totally it, fair yeah totally fair but but for me it's more it's more than that it is like a, a it, it is watching that and being like hmm okay that's I need to be a little bit more specific mm-hmm. in my voice and the way that I play and yeah. blah 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 you know so yeah there there is a certain kind of ignorance that you see come out of people when they play sometimes mm-hmm. you see it in class all the time 
every now and again you see a malicious kind of ignorance mm-hmm. that is just this person comes from a worldview that is ugh. more often than not you tend to see an ignorance that's not willfully malicious right it is non-discriminating and what i mean by that megan gray uh who is my lovely girlfriend mm-hmm. has brought this up to me a bunch of times one of her big uh irritations is when people don't recognize that she's playing a guy in a scene yeah and instantly name her a woman when yes. she's made it very clear that she's a guy to me that's a kind of ignorance where something occurred that lets you know what's in this person's mind and you selectively ignored it nothing malicious about nothing it. malicious it right. just didn't register for you because you haven't been able to discriminate that little tiny move right. that now makes this character an individual and not just the woman that you're looking at right. in front of, uh, across from stage. Uh, um, and it is really interesting to me, this idea of being sucked into the blob. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, because I think you're totally right that like everybody, and this is probably true for any kind of, um, anything that people will mutually feel very passionate about. I'm yes, sure that this totally. happens. Yeah. But in the world of improv, people get sucked in super quickly Mm -hmm. and they get assimilated super quickly Mm -hmm. into the kind of consensus point of view. And And it's so easy to get swept in what everyone thinks is really exciting at the moment, you know, and you're in this kind of like climate where I think that this has gotten better over the years, Mm -hmm. but there's still this kind of like moral tinge to a lot of the rules of improv that I think are a little bit absurd and getting each other's back and making each other look good and never fighting and all this kind of stuff that have been elevated to this thing where it's like you're a rotten person if you break one of them. It's like a moral code. The thing is kind of stupid because ultimately to me, and and I couldn't agree more about uh, um, what you're saying about comedy in general. Uh, uh, For me, comedy is the easiest way for there to be a a touching of minds, Mm -hmm. similar or different. Mm -hmm. But it kind of bridges that gap. Like in that way, the fact that something's funny becomes that sort of great leveler where it allows people with different points of view and sometimes people with irreconcilable points of view to accept... Even the fact that there's some sort of weirdness between us yes. right now to accept that we can be together in that room creating with that weirdness as part of it. You know, one of my favorite, you know, I'm going to say this right now. One of my favorite performers of all time is Shakotha Fields. Mm-hmm. Like for, I, I've known her for a long time. Her and I have been friends and she just like, first of all, she's like, <laughs> she's like really great at just not letting anything. She's really good at listening and not letting anything kind of like, she's not good. She's like great at not ignoring things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she does, she like, will be like, let's talk about it. Yeah. You know? And that's, I think that is so important to an improviser, letting everything not let you go by, mm-hmm. you know, and not like looking for something in the statement is looking at the entire statement and then addressing the entire statement. Right. You know, and Shakotha is like perfect at it, but I love the way Shakotha plays because she's one of those people that she's paired with other people. And you're like, how are these two people ever going to do a scene together? And it works and it's the best thing. And that's, I think what you're mentioning about the joining of minds, even though history and blah, 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 all of that cultural differences, societal differences might be different. But the fact that we can connect on this level, yeah. you know, performative level, you know, whether as ourselves or as characters, that's what's really important. Yeah. And that's so just pleasing to see on stage yeah. to me. Oh, it's so good. Just watching her 
perform every time is so great. She and that it's actually like when you watch Akotha, uh, um, everything registers mm-hmm. to her. Yes. The subtleties of what's going on register to her. And she's the kind of performer where she tends to have super strong opinions right. about things, right. uh, um, which is part of what makes it so fun to watch her because mm-hmm. she is kind of like explosive. Totally. She's yeah. also fearless too. Like again, Very. going back to the fearless thing. Have you ever seen her one person show? Mm-hmm. One deep. Mm-hmm. The opening to that show is so fascinating mm-hmm. to me because Chikoth is a really, really strong, energetic yes. performer. But that show starts with a minute and a half of her kind of quietly and slowly kind of sneaking out from behind the flat backstage and kind of looking at everybody. There's something very like shy about her at the beginning. And surprising, you know what I mean? And, you know, comedy is surprise. Yeah. You know, that's, that's sometimes how people, why people laugh because it's surprising to us. Yeah. You know? That's what I want. I want to be surprised. Totally. And she's surprising. Yeah. Again, she's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to go like too far with this and make it like super new agey or whatever, or try <laughs> to like lay this claim that like comedy solves problems. Cause mm-hmm. I don't, I think that that's going too far, but, uh, um, this seems to be like a theme of the conversation today, going back to what you get out of those early improv classes mm-hmm. where you're talking with people and you're being heard and you're hearing them and suddenly this magic happens. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it thaws out some of like the iciness that you've kind of crystallized yes. over time. Yeah. And there is a little bit more of like a naked touching between people. You know, there's an intimacy that happens when you're playing with someone and it's going well, you're jamming with each Mm -hmm. other. It's very intimate. You really do feel like each of you has a foot in the other one's head. Totally. Uh, um, uh, And there is something to me of like, because it is a topic that needs to, to, to be constantly addressed that, you have that in the sort of early stages and then later on in your career, there's always going to be a tendency to just kind of uh, 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 come together with like-minded people mm-hmm. and then that's it. There's sort of a perimeter right. fence around <laughs> Right, you, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. but there's something, at least to my mind, that's so exciting and and hopeful and positive about the fact that that thing that you get day one, level one, always remains the kind of like beating heart at the center of mm-hmm. what makes improv so exciting that it's a meeting of different minds coming together and totally. it's, it's, I love the way that you break it down of just listen to me. Right. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I think so too. Also like that idea of, you know, improv itself is so fragile in yeah. a way. It's so easily breakable. Yeah. Uh, and I think, but it's exciting. It's very much alive because you don't know, you know, you initiate by saying something based on the suggestion or whatever, you know, and the amount of places it can go is limitless, yeah. you know? And so you're just waiting. And that moment, to me, the best moment is the f- after that initiation line. Because you don't know where it's going to go, yeah. right? But the journey that it takes after that requires so much attention. So much attention and so much, like, care. It is like being a parent, you know? And would you rather have a parent that, like communicates to the other parent or a parent that's just angry at the other parent all the time yeah. and are fighting and like not meeting together. You know what I mean? So like, I think it's, imp- that's why it's so important to just listen to each other and take care of each other because you do want to create, I mean, it sounds so corny to say, but it is like the the scene that you're creating or the show that you're creating is a baby and mm-hmm. you want to 
grow, like make it grow, you know? That's why you have to constantly be listening, not listening to the first three scenes and then being like, all right, whatever, I got it, you know? Well, it's like listening to your baby. Yeah. As it, it, I use that metaphor in class sometimes about the baby and about the way that a shit parent decides this baby's going to grow up to be a doctor. Right. Oh, yeah, totally. And You're telling the baby what to do. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you see some people play their scenes like that, where mm-hmm. they've decided beforehand what the scene is going to be, and it doesn't matter what happens. Totally. That's what this scene's well, going to be. And if you have two people like that, or mm-hmm. three people like that, or four people like that, then poor baby, yeah. you know, doesn't know what it wants. Yeah. You know? But acting like loving parents together who both have to come to an understanding with each other, but also mm-hmm. have to listen to the needs of this kid. Right. It's rapidly growing in front of your eyes mm-hmm. until by the end of a show, you have a, you have a grown up ready to go off and start their own family or whatever, right. you know, listening to its needs and attending to that, regardless of what your expectations were at the beginning, mm-hmm. that seems to be the kind of key to it. But don't you think those kind of shows are experiencing that is so much more rewarding? Like oh, yeah. being in a show where you're like, whoa, I did not think it was going to be this way. Yeah. You know, it's so much better than being like, mm-hmm, yep, the scene went exactly how I wanted it to be. <laughs> oh, the, uh, mummified scenes. They can be mm-hmm. the prettiest scene in the world. They yeah. can be so well done and so funny and so well played, but you walk away with that kind of cold, lifeless feeling inside of you. So robotic. You yeah, know? It, it. there were no surprises for you. And then you, you went special. Out, there's nothing special. Yeah. You did exactly what you knew you were capable of doing. That's what's so exciting about improvising. When it's really great is you always walk out of it having done something that you didn't realize. was in you and a lot of that you know it does require work yeah that is not easy to do by any means yeah and it's not something that you can like really develop it's not like a skill that you're like okay this is gonna these sets of skills that i have is gonna work with every single improviser so come at me people you know it has to change you have to be like i said earlier you have to be malleable like you it's good to have all the skill sets, so then you know which tools to use in a scene, right? You can't just be like, I'm going to be that one person that says this one thing and then gets out of the scene, you know? Because it's not going to work for everyone, you know? That's why I get nervous when people start like defining themselves as this kind of improviser right exactly Because as soon as you i mean not that you shouldn't be self-aware but as soon as you put a box around yourself of like oh this is what i do yeah that's what you did in a situation that worked in the past it may not work the next time you get out there totally you may be called on to play a very different function and you and then you have to like kind of rise the occasion or fail but do it you know yeah uh but exactly like for me My biggest identity thing, and that's something that I like held so hard to, was the fact that I was a physical improviser. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I still am aware of. And it's definitely a strength of mine for sure. Uh, But like just an improviser who moved and did stuff, you know? But there was a point and that lasted me for a long time. And I was like, I'm the, I'm the guy who's going to move around. Like that's going to be my thing. Right. But it doesn't work all the time. Right. (laughs) It just does not work. And then, I felt like not satisfied with how I was playing because it it became very predictable Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, I was like, okay, I'm not surprising. I'm definitely not surprising myself. This is something that I can do, but I want to learn how to, I don't know, like be serious in scenes and like, yeah, talk, like bring honesty into scenes, which is something that I had to learn to do this is not something that i started doing from the very beginning no way it's actually that i did hate it to do yeah. be honest in a scene no way talk about feelings no way yeah. be aware of other people's feelings no way yeah. that stuff scared me because it was like too real like i said before but now it's something that i thrive so much yeah. it's just like 
delegating and being like, okay, how are we feeling right now? Yeah. Let's get to how we're feeling, you know? And not to say that that can happen and we could be moving around, be physical and crazy and stuff. But as long as we're like, okay, let's, let's like feel each other out. Let's like talk about emotions. Like it's okay to talk about emotions, yeah. you know? It's okay for someone to be sad in a scene. It's okay for someone to be angry in a scene. Totally fine. If it's warranted and if, if communication is happening, great. Also, I, you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but like, I'm totally okay with people fighting on, I'm totally fine with people just like arguing on scenes. If that's a way to communicate, yes, do it, do it by all means, do yeah. it, you know? Um, but yeah, again, it, it is that like thing of like feeling someone, I'm going to do a scene with you. I might be totally different than doing scene with somebody else, yeah. you know, and knowing that, yeah, knowing that. Yeah. It, it, those to me are always the, the shows that I feel the most successful or that I feel are the most successful, not necessarily the funniest shows, not necessarily the most well-liked shows, mm-hmm. but the ones where I walk away uh, um, having gotten a feel for the people that I was with. Right. I don't, And I don't know how to put that into words exactly. It's yeah. just there's some sort of like imprint is kind of like pressed on you about like this other person's sensibility. And a, again, like to me, it goes back to this intimacy of like, oh, I sort of felt your mind touching my mind, you yeah. know, like there's like a little kiss goes again, on right like, there improv is a social it's a social art form yeah it really is uh and also you know the thing with improv too it's like not a money-making thing you know like i'm not getting paid thousands of dollars to do this we're actually paying from our pocket to like have a coach to rehearse to do this so it has to be fun for you yeah do you know what I mean? like you have to get something out of it it can't just be like a this mindless thing that you perform and you're like okay i did that bye it's like, no, it's got to speak to you. It's like an art. Like I dance because it speaks to me. You know, I act because it speaks to me. I, you know, I do this because I paint because it speaks to me. You know, improv has got to speak to you because I, why else would you do it? Honestly, like I, I don't, I don't know. I don't having, know. Having studied one particular art and discipline and been a little disenchanted with it and kind of like lost your sense of direction and then having fallen into a completely different one mm-hmm. and been re-enchanted by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you, and this might be a little bit of a weird question, has your time as an improviser and as a comedian uh, um, helped you to remember something that you kind of knew when you were younger getting involved in dancing? This is a really weird, I'll, I'll try to be clearer with it. Uh, uh, for me, it was film. Mm-hmm. And I knew really early on I want to work still in movies. Do you do film no. at all? Okay. Improv completely took over. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, improv actually was a very roundabout way of being able to consolidate a point of view that was in there somewhere when I developed an interest in wanting to do film, but I wasn't mature enough as a person or self-aware enough or whatever to recognize it. I hadn't been able to exercise enough for it to kind of come out to the surface. Mm -hmm. So it was this sort of dimly felt sense of this is what I love, but I don't know exactly why or whatever years of improvising and failing in front of paying audiences and succeeding in front of paying audiences and making and losing a bunch of friends and you know like all the drama and shit that you go through as an improviser oh yeah in order to kind of find my point of view and i find teaching has helped a lot with this too Mm -hmm. to consolidate my point of view and it it, my point of view changes all the time Mm -hmm. but there are certain basic things that i come back to a lot i like it when it feels very alive Right. I like it when it's unpredictable in the same way that that real relationships are unpredictable. I like that feeling of 
believing what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And I like that feeling of intimacy of, as an audience member, I like to eavesdrop on people. I don't mm-hmm. like to feel like I'm being handed something that I have to enjoy. Right. I like to kind we of want to be, be a part of it. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I like to be seduced a little bit mm-hmm. into it. I like to kind of, there's a little bit of, of, uh, um, I don't know, gossip or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That, and I know I just have learned <laughs> from true. hard experience that that's what I enjoy watching mm-hmm. and that's what I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And, and, the kind of result of that has been I've come to realize certain things that were sort of unconscious when I first went to college, for example, right. that are now very conscious and have become sort of like guiding principles for me, have become the things that I set out deliberately to yeah. do now. I'm huh. curious if you have, that's, I'm sorry, that's such yeah, a no, no, no. It's, that's meandering. Very, no, that's very interesting because the, 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 the aspects that you really love about filmmaking are still present and yes. improv for you. Yes. And, and the thing in, you know, the, the college experience, or I guess any technical experience is you're spending your time learning the craft, right? Right. The craft to me has become less and less interesting over time. I'm not, and I think that's what, oh, yeah. what we're talking about of like, when you yeah. just get out on stage and do what you know how to do really right. well, you feel bored. It's the exercise of a craft, but right. there's no new surprise for it to me what's interesting about the craft or whatever you want to call it is you're sort of like opening a little door, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's a weird metaphor, but like, it's more of like you're using that craft to invite something through. That's interesting. And over time I've come to understand a certain amount of like, Oh, what I'm interested in that I want to invite through. Right. I think also like the, the thing with, you know, in art school specifically, like we look at the idea of like, even though things look bad in art, a painting might look really bad, but it's still considered art mm-hmm. because the understanding of the fundamentals are there, but it's the choice whether to use them or to be like, I'm going to break these rules. Right. You know what I mean? But the, I think it's the awareness, right? Like you went to film school and it, these tools that you use, I mean, I went to dancing school, but the tools that I use are there. We still know them. Mm-hmm. We know them very well. We went to school for them. We can choose to use them or we can choose to not use them. Mm-hmm. We just know that they are. And I think that's, the reason why I love contemporary dance is the thing that I fell in love with about it was the fact that it is the idea of dance. It really spoke to the fundamental idea of dance, which is expressing yourself through your body, Mm -hmm. you know, and we did learn all the technique and all that stuff, but really through it all, it was the idea of communicate with your body what you want And it it will happen. The way that I choreographed pieces was, I would say, give me a 12 count of anger. And the person would do that. And that would be one sequence. And then that's how we would uh, choreograph stuff. Mm. Not like, you know, let's do like a tendu and then blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? None of that stuff. Like, no, none of that. That's not the way that I create things, you know? And I think the element of improv, the thing that I really love about it, is the communicating, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because that's what I did with contemporary I communicated through movement, you know? Um, and that's what I'm still doing with improv. I'm communicating, you know, with words and, and the medium of theater on stage. I'm communicating to my partner, to the audience, to the greater picture of what this show could be mm-hmm. not is, but could be, right. cause we don't know what it is before we do it. It could be that it could be something totally different. And that's what it's going even deeper. That's what I find so fulfilling about musical improv itself, because I'm, 
I do that. I tend to do that more now mm-hmm. than normal improv, not because I don't like normal. I love it. But to me, it's much more challenging and also scares me. Musical improv scares me. I'm not a good singer, but I do it because it's it still now today scares me. Uh, and it's so rewarding after it's done. It's so it, it feels like something that, uh, you know, statistically speaking, I get more out of a musical improv than I get a normal improv about like slaying this dragon, mm-hmm. you know, and feeling so good about it in musical improv than in normal improv. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, it, it's that idea of like, what does this show mean to me? You know, rather than like a montage show, you know what I mean? Like I love montages, but would prefer to do more of a formed show mm-hmm. because I, I am a big fan. I'm still very adamant about like, what are we saying here? Like what, what are these little scenes saying about a bigger picture or like, what is this form communicating to us? Right. What is this entire piece? Uh, a, a whole show could be like six or seven scenes about different things. And that's totally fine. But to me, I'm like very, that's why I love the director series mm-hmm. a lot because it is very much of like, what are we trying to say? Mm-hmm. What is the idea of this show? Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that improv can do that, can really have a point of view. Yeah. And it's not just comedy or being funny. The The goal is not necessarily to be funny with the director series. Yeah. It's like, okay, what are we saying now? Well, there's a nice opportunity with the director series where you get to think beforehand of what experience do I want an audience to mm-hmm. take away from this? And now kind of retroactively, what are the steps I need to take in order to create that experience? Right. And for me, that, again, goes back to this like intimacy, because at the end, the experience that I hope people take away from this is something that is very reflective of uh, me. Right. You know, like as a director, or as a performer, there's a feeling of like, it's not just an improv show where we're just making it up and being funny for you. Right. I, I, that experience that you're walking away from is is taking away some small part of, this is how I think. Right. This and how that's I how the audience sees things. you, right? Right. They're like, oh, uh, you're more than just these jokes. Right. You know, like, oh, you have something to say. Or I'm like, whoa, I'm thinking about this show that's more than just the jokes. Mm-hmm. That's, oh gosh, that's like... The ultimate to me, that's like the ultimate compliment I could receive after any show is like, oh, I really liked this part that wasn't a joke. Ah, I love it. I loved how silent you were for that, like for those three minutes. Oh, that's like the best compliment I could ever receive. Oh, I loved how, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. to get compliments for not a joke is, is the best, it's the best feeling in the world. It really is the best feeling in the world. Oscar Montoya, thank you for talking. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. So fun. Yeah, it was, a real, <laughs> Thanks a lot. It was really fun. Uh, uh, and thank you guys for listening. This is the Magnet Theater Podcast, brought to you by the Magnet Training Center. Uh, uh, we have a whole bunch of classes at the Magnet Training Center. Uh, classes in improvisation, musical improvisation, storytelling, sketch comedy. If it's funny and fun to do, we are teaching it. Uh, if that sounds like something that you might be interested in, we offer free weekly classes. What? Lewis, you're saying to yourself? They're weekly classes? Free? Free intro classes on a weekly basis. Uh, It's an hour and a half long uh, class. A try before you buy so you can get a sense of how we teach and what we're about. That sounds like fun, and I promise you it is. Please check it out online. Uh, To find out more about who we are and what we do, including the amazing shows we have seven nights a week, check us out. MagnetTheater.com is that website. What's that website again, you ask? 
magnetheater.com uh big thanks to grant goldberg our engineer and evan barden our producer uh the magnet theater podcast is available on soundcloud and itunes please rate us on itunes if you enjoy the show if you don't enjoy the show and you made it this far <laughs> i don't know what to I tell know, you yeah, it, you should crazy. listen that far to something you don't like <laughs> thank you uh bro. thank you uh thanks again to oscar Montoya. thanks again to you guys for listening i've been thank Lewis you. bye gang bye, bye. You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast. 